Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm John Howard, the editor of Capital Weekly. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest, one of our special guests, Mike Madrid, Republican political consultant uh, with grassrootslab.com. Been around for years. I talked to you when you didn't have gray hair. And it looks good. <laughs> I had hair, actually. Had hair. <laughs> Me too. And also we're joined from Los Angeles, uh, Luis Alvarado, Republican political consultant. And we're going to chat, uh, chat about the... Um, results of the recent of the midterms and what it means for republicans we read a lot about this but now we have two people really know so mike what's your first takeaway on that well really i think it was kind of an extinction level event for the republican party in california Uh with the meteor hit with the meteor hit yeah the meteor hit and um you know there's still some assemblages out there but i think the nature and the tone of the president i think the 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 for whatever reason the desire of John Cox's campaign to emulate that strategy, uh, and, and even now the continuing efforts by party leadership, the, the three candidates running for party chair are still you know, parroting the same, the, the same old nonsense, mm-hmm. have really shown clearly that there's either no desire or no political will to make an adjustment. And they're really only speaking now to the very fast-shrinking uh, white conservative non-college-educated rural voter that is in California, and there's not a whole lot of them anymore. And that's really the only base that they're speaking to or able to communicate with at this point. Does that calculus change with a different presidential candidate, a different Republican? Is this unique to Trump, or if you have a different and better Republican candidate, would that change here? In the well, the, the problem is, is it takes a, this, the, the damage being done lasts for at least a generation, and that's what we saw in the mid-1990s. It, was ta- it took two generations to get this bad to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the last three election cycles, Republicans have been nominating more reasonable voices. You know, Neil Kashkari, Meg Whitman, mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger, who actually obviously won. Um, this is not going to happen with one candidate or one policy change. The damage that gets done in races like this with candidates like this lasts a generation. So while we were starting to finally crawl out of the muck, mm-hmm. you have this this candidate, this campaign, run on these really regressive issues, even far more racially tinged than anything we've seen in California, including Pete Wilson in 1994. And you see him do far worse than those candidates. So that shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, it's getting worse, and the parties supporting candidates that, that continue to regress and move further away from the California electorate, and that type of campaign is obviously leads to historic losses. And Luis, you have a different take than that. Not much different. I, I agree with many of the points that Mike just made. I, I, I think where Mike and I disagree a little bit is with respect of what is the version of burn it down as opposed to steps to actually build or to try to bring the phoenix out of the ashes. Because the Republican Party is still composed of great people, good Californians who believe that you know there is a conservative message to be brought out. And as Democrats actually take full ownership of California's leadership when it comes to constitutional offices, uh, and, and Senate and Assembly uh, uh, seats with a surplus budget, uh, you know, if Democrats go out there and obliterate that th- those reserves and, and, and engage in true socialistic uh, strategies that uh, are completely uh, off keel to what, you know, moderate Californians, no party preference Californians, even Democrat Californians 
would be in disapproval, then there is a way of building up a party uh, uh, to be modified to be a modern Republican Party. Uh, so with regards to how we got here, certainly Donald Trump is, you know, the cherry and the icing on top to a demise that we have seen in the party with regards to losing seats, uh, starting with the Pete Wilson days. Uh, there is opportunities for leadership. I granted that the part, the candidates that have announced so far for leadership in the Republican Party are, are, are still few. Uh, I think that after the holidays, we're going to see continued uh, uh, interest from leaders uh, in California to try to take over the party, try to rebuild it, try to propose a new direction for the party, try to silence the voices of those that spill the rhetoric. Listen, from day one, to, you know, as a Republican, I've been a Republican my entire life. I actually worked on Ronald Reagan's and and uh, uh, President Bush 41's re-election uh, when he was vice president. And I have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of the party, just like Mike has. And I am very concerned that there are opportunities for Republicans and they're not being capitalized. A few years ago, I felt that there was no momentum from the Republican Party to talk to Latino uh, uh, demographics, uh, uh, communities here in California. And I was one of the co-founders of Grow Elect, an organization that's been very successful in identifying Latino Republicans who are conservative of different valuations within the conservative spectrum and helped them get elected to municipal offices. We also helped uh, 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 former now Assemblymember Acosta win a seat in the Assembly. So there are methodologies that can be employed. There are ways of actually being a big tent Republican Party. Uh, and I look forward to an opportunity. I'm more of a glass half full than a glass half empty kind of guy. What about um, one problem of many, but one problem Republicans have in California is that the decline to state registration has eclipsed Republican registration. And in fact, yeah. um, uh, Republic, it's not a third party. It's, it's just that people are leaving both parties, but they seem to be leaving the Republican Party more. So how, maybe this is a question for Mike, so how does, um, uh, how do the Republicans recoup given that people, proportionally more people are turning their back on them now, whether the Latino or not, it's not just well, look, talking look, numbers thing. You know? Look, I, Louis said a couple of things and, and while I respect him, I, the evidence clearly shows that the Republican Party is, we're not in a half, glass half full kind of place. I mean, that's just, that's just beyond denial at this point. The Republican Party has become very much like the Nationalist Party in France, like the National Front. Mm -hmm. It is largely a party associated with white identity grievance politics. Mm -hmm. That We have never in the history of this state had Republicans run on building a wall, right? Pete Wilson never talked about those kind of egregious policy platforms. We have not only a candidate who ran on that policy position, but all of the candidates running for chairman of the Republican Party still support that position. You cannot be glass half full when this when the house is burning down. That's just denial. So what we need to do is we need to call this stuff out. It is not conservatism, as Louis said. This is not conservatism. It is nationalism. And those are inconsistent. You cannot be a party of both nationalists and conservatives. They are inconsistent, if well, you understand what they mean. When you, when you talk about, um, you had mentioned, I think Louis did too, mentioned three the three candidates running for leadership of the party. Are yeah. we talking about the state party chair that yeah. Brulte has? Yeah, Brulte's vacating. He's turned he's vacating. out. Okay. He's leaving, yeah. And so he's, last time he was turned out, termed out, he went and did a 
he got a, he extended his ter- tenure Correct. with the permission of the, of the board. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, how does that affect? How does the leadership of the Republican Party actually affect the rank and file? And who I mean, are the three candidates? Well, the, the the current candidates right now are David Hadley, a former assembly member, who's yeah. a moderate mm-hmm. uh, in the legislature. Um, Travis Allen, one of the failed candidates for yeah. for Republican uh, nomination for governor, and the recall Gavin Newsom guy. Yeah, who started a recall for Gavin Newsom before he got sworn in, yeah. and then now uh, Steve Frank, who's a longtime very conservative party activist. He was with the Rebel- Republican Assembly, right? The California Republican for Assembly, years and years and right, years, right? Which okay. was kind of the very far right, right wing of the party. Is is of those three, is Hadley? Does he have a leg up or no? I don't think any of them have a leg up because there's really no differentiation, which is the point I was getting to. Uh-huh. There's not going to be a chairman, whether it's after the holidays or not, that is going to say what the party needs to have addressed, which is you cannot be a nationalist. You cannot be for supporting building a wall. You cannot use race-based, race-tinged policy platforms like that. And you cannot be supportive of Donald Trump, who has historic lows. Mm-hmm. I mean, the evidence is clear. The consultant who ran all of the contested races for the Republicans said there's undeniably the problem was Donald Trump. So that's the, that is the first immediate step. It's kind of like acknowledging you have a problem. And there's still this denial. There's all this, oh, it was voter fraud. It was ballot harvesting. It was all this dark money. Um, no, the, the problems are obvious. They've been obvious for two decades. And rather than having party leaders step up and address the problems and say the emperor has no clothes, we continue to start saying, oh, I'm an optimist, I'm a glass half full, and there's room for good conservatives. Well, the truth of the matter is this election cycle was a pivot point, and we need to start being honest for people who are looking and have spent their careers building the party and say, no, there are some bad policy positions. There are some bad people who have very offensive policy platforms that are in the leadership and that are, are the standard bearers for our party. And if we don't have the courage to say that, frankly, we don't, we don't have we, – we should not be a political party. But here's how, how does that play out at the local level? I know we, when we it, talked before, there, was, it, there were more Republicans at the local level than one might think. Yeah. More than half of local officials were Republican. That is no longer longer the case. No, you saw saw a record drubbing amongst local elected officials. Uh, We'll be putting out a report soon. Those numbers have flipped. I'll give you that. It's the curtain raiser. Uh, Democrats now have more local elected officials than Republicans do. That's a sea change. It's a very significant change. Even in Orange County, even in San Diego uh, County? Not in Orange County, but certainly in San Diego County. Had a very, very bad night, uh, last election night. Okay. And overwhelming in the Bay Area. Um, a huge increase in the number of no-party preferences, most of them who were former Republicans. So you've got Republican office holders who are leaving the party mm-hmm. that are mirroring the voter registration trends. And like I said, you, you cannot stop the hemorrhaging or, or change unless you're honest about what is going on. And it's, the evidence is so overwhelming and it's so obvious and it's so clear that um, at this point, people just don't want to change and would rather, I think, be captains of a sinking ship all the way down than, than just say, look, here's what the obvious problem is. But, he, but here's a question. So do you think it's possible that a significant percentage of the Republican Party that's left, because a lot of people have left the Republican Party, are people to whom the positions you find abhorrent are actually the appeal. The people who really do want a wall, the people who are really uncomfortable with the browning of California, uh, do you think that it's possible that they're not true conservatives and that they're not really that concerned with, you know, freedom, you know, freedoms and conservative, traditional conservative positions? I mean, it's amazing to me watching the way that the Republican Party nationally is no longer the party of free trade. You know, or, or lower taxes. He's yeah. increased, Donald Trump is increasing taxes. He's no longer the party of free trade. 
he's no longer the party of a strong international order the way we built it to protect yeah. those freedoms that we've enjoyed. Donald Trump literally is not a conservative. He is a nationalist, and, and that is what the Republican Party has become. So, and Luis, I want your opinion, but when I hear him saying this is conservatism, this is not conservatism. What Donald Trump is running on is not conservatism, at least in the way we've known it for 35, 40 years, nor is what John Cox was running on. They may have some policy platforms that they share with conservatives, but that's no, that, that, there's a very big distinct difference. And the nationalism that has arisen in the party is a very dangerous cancer that needs to be cut out. And there's the question is, can the party survive cutting? Are there enough true conservatives left in the Republican Party in California to survive purging the nationalist elements? That's my question. And you, you're there. You know these people. Do you feel yeah. like it's still a big enough? Luis, I'm, why don't you answer that question? Yeah. You know, I, uh, I took uh, many trips to Washington, D.C., uh, leading the Latino Legislative Roundtable to try to find equitable, viable solutions for DACA recipients and for uh, for those Latino uh, dreamers that are contributing to our society in California. And I met with uh, members of the Freedom Caucus who are the obstructionists in the Republican Party. I've met with all wings of the Republican Party. And I come to the realization that I, I, I agree that with Mike that, you know, there are people that just have to go that they have no business being Republicans or they spew uh, such hatred that it's not a matter of being Republican, it's just a matter of, of, of hijacking the Republican brand so they can promote their, their, their ideology. You know, when it comes to Donald Trump, I've been anti-Donald Trump. I'm on the record the day he came down the escalator as me opposing his candidacy, you know, and, and having press, uh, press conferences when he was candidate Trump. And, and, and declaring that his uh, rhetoric is unacceptable and not in accordance to what I believe the Republican Party should be or stood for. Yet, that being said, yes, I do believe that certain aspects of the Republican Party on a national basis have been completely overrun, uh, have been taken over by the Bannons of this world, the Stephen Millers of this world. And I, How is that I, possible? I mean, what is it about them that they're able to take over the main wing, the, the, the traditional wing of the Republican Party, as I understand it, and my parents understood it, small government, a strong military, equitable taxation, small is better, basically, and smaller government is better. So what, how did that morph into evangelical Christianism, or how, whatever you want to call it? How, how did that morph into all this hatred, that just all this poison that sort of divided the country? You know, in the 60s, it was, it was more the Dems, right? It was people on the left. My, my, my take is uh, something that, you know, occurred in the 60s when it came to those demographic changes and all the, uh, uh, all the legislation that was opening, uh, empowering those uh, communities that had felt oppressed or, or in the minority. And now when the demographic changes are becoming incredibly clear, not just inside the country, but also from uh, uh, being pushed from the other side on the book as a, as opposite bookcase is the globalization of the country and how that's affected our economy. And there are those in power, and more specifically, there are those do in the donor base uh, who usually are Caucasian over seventy year olds that do reminisce about the good old days when they used to go dance to Fred Astaire. And those are the guys who you know who wag who wag their checks and say, "This is where I want my party to go to." And do everything you can to make sure that, you know, the Latino dem uh, uh, demographic doesn't become overwhelmingly 
a demographic that has a say in this country. And that also can be found in the Democratic Party. You know, I, I you know, working with my Democrat uh, consulting friends, you know, they, they tell me that they have the same challenges, you know, with old, all the old union bosses who are also Caucasian over 70-year-olds have lost control of a lot of the power they have in the Democrat Party because there is the progressive wing that is just taking the Democrat Party ex to their extreme as well. You know, there are, lots of, and, um, there are a lot of union bosses, uh, and I'm thinking now of Los Angeles, um, uh, you know, the Alma, Alma Hernandez, uh, LaFonza Butler. Uh, there are lots of younger people of color who are running unions in the most populous county in California, which includes, I think, am I right in saying that has the, the highest number of Latinos also in Los Angeles County, and that's a Democratic bastion. The years when, Demo when Los Angeles was a, a sort of a weather vane, it's sort of you, how Los Angeles went, um, so went the rest of the state. It's, it's different. Los Angeles is solidly Democratic now, and it's not something you look at. You know, it's not a determiner. Democrat, like Democrat, Democrat union uh, uh, leadership in California is like Republican leadership in California. You know, they're they're the opposite to what the rest of the nation is. You can you compare a Democrat, uh, a union uh, or a union boss from California to a union boss from the coal mines up in Appalachia, and they're not going to agree on anything uh, because they're not going to see eye to eye on, on what what progress is for their for the union members is. So the same problems we have in, in, from a Democrat side in, in, uh, in California, we have for Republican sides, is that blue wave or red wave, whichever you want to call it, stops at the Nevada, uh, at the Sierra Nevadas. And we actually uh, are very independent to what the rest of the nation does. I, I just got back from Mexico from the presidential inaugural, and even though... Even though that uh, uh, the president sent a large delegation of representatives, you know California sent their own delegation, and uh, incoming Governor Gavin Newsom was there with many of the assembly members and senators, union leaders, and uh, industry leaders, having his own delegation because California has separated from the rest of the nation. So for Republicans to look at how we're going to govern in California, we have to find a way to separate from what the rest of the nation does so we can actually represent the interests of Californians. Uh, you know, one of the best, uh, 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 it saddened me to see Catherine Baker, it saddened me to see Catherine Baker, you know, being ousted in this, in this blue wave because she was a fabulous representative for her district who is a very progressive district. So, Luis, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. I, Luis, this is Mike. I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with what you're saying. And I commend you and applaud you for standing up to Donald Trump from the day he started coming down the escalator. I think that's great. That's fantastic. That's what the party needs more of. What I will ask you is, on those issues that alienated our community, what was the difference between Donald Trump and John Cox? Uh, I, I am, I, the differences are the matter in which uh, the message was delivered. So if, so if John Cox... Uh, if, Don, if Donald Trump was very bombastic about in the way that he wanted to put uh, the wall together, you know, uh, Cox was uh, more in tune to what the wall does for the sovereignty of the country, uh, but was very conscious of the issues in the communities that would be affected. So there was a, a very large thought process that would put was put into the message. So do you believe that that do you believe do you believe that that's a message? Do you believe that his message of building a wall in a softer, gentler way is going to work for the Latino community? Is that they what like, you're saying? You're saying they like the velvet glove. 
Well, I say that when I was in Washington, D.C., trying to talk about how we're going to help these DACA recipients stay in the United States, I was talking to Democrats who were willing to give into the wall so we can have that process. Because at the end of the day, politics is about about finding a way in the middle ground to find solutions, regardless of the ideology. At one point, we have to put our ideology to the side, and we have to find a way to negotiate so the common good of the entire nation or the community you represent is actually uh, uh, delivered uh, uh, products, uh, services, and, 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 and resources. And that's, and that's what I think John Cox was trying John Cox refused. John, well, he obviously failed miserably, and I, I think you'd have to question that advice. Let me say this. John Cox would not renounce Steve Bannon's presence at the California Republican Party when he was a keynote speaker. He refused to make a statement renouncing it, okay? He supported building a wall. And I don't know how you can honestly say that his tone, would, if his tone were different, that that would be acceptable to any community, including whites, who disproportionately opposed building a wall, let alone Latinos. He was endorsed by he was endorsed by a nationalist campaign. And my position is, if you're endorsed by a nationalist and you sound like a nationalist and you support nationalist policies, you know what? You're a nationalist. And so, until we start standing up and quit with the mealy mouth, hey, maybe there's a way to say bad things better. Things are not going to get better, and they shouldn't. Yes, Mike, but I go back to the Democrats who are willing to give Donald Trump his wall so they can keep the DACA recipients. That, that's a very small minority, Luis. That's a very small minority, and you know it, and I know it. You know, I'm talking about Schumer. I'm talking about Schumer and Pelosi. How would you do that? What would be, what would be a step you'd take? The first thing you have to do is you have to acknowledge the problem, and that means you have to stop with this you know, mealy mouth stuff about accommodating different voices. There is no room and should not be any room in the Republican Party for nationalist voices, including the President of the United States and candidates who emulate him. Mm -hmm. The Republican Party should be the conservative party, and it is not. And the more we pretend that nationalism is conservatism, the more we're going to keep losing. So we, we can rebuild the party if we were a conservative okay. party. We cannot as long as we accommodate and allow it and say, oh, it should be part of the negotiation. And with three people running for the chairmanship. Not a single one of them is running on a conservative okay. platform. They're running as nationalists. So the one way then of starting it back over, doing a reboot of this, would be to have some some sort of search committee for some for a group of people that would be more in line with what you're saying. Which I don't think, to Tim's earlier point, I don't think that's going to happen. The only people that that exist are people that agree with Luis and agree with John Cox and agree with Donald Trump, which is there's a way to, to have these offensive policies, and as long as you're nice in the way you say it, people will somehow not know that or be aware of that. He got, Trump got 62 million votes, I think, in 2016. Mm -hmm. If he ran now, if he was up now for re-election, would he still come up with 62 million or a like number or have enough people seen enough of his administration to say, no, I'm done? Enough Republicans this last election cycle yep. said, I would rather have Nancy Pelosi with the speaker's gavel than support Donald Trump's direction for the party. Those are Republicans. That's how you lose Orange County. Not only did, did John Cox lose Orange County, he, he came within one point of losing Riverside County. Okay. So you're talking a massive defection from Republicans who are saying they are rejecting, they are rejecting this message by very strong numbers. So the short answer is no, I don't think he would get the same number because he has created a real split in the Republican Party on who is a conservative and who supports these policies that are no longer acceptable. Do you think anybody in the state 
apart from these three people running, but any other Republicans in the state are picking up on that message? I think you've got Chad Mays and Kristen Olson, former leaders of the Republican Party, that have begun this effort to move it in a, a new way, as they would call it, a new direction, yeah. What's the future of the Republicans as you look forward right now for a statewide office holder? Oh, they're horrible. I mean, Republicans are not going to win for another generation, and it's because we have candidates like the last one we had for governor who just lack the backbone to stand up to the, the, the what remains of the party. But the hard part there is... Could even the best candidate have bucked the headwinds created by Trump in California? I mean, Trump is so unpopular in yeah. California. I don't know that Schwarzenegger running as a Republican would have won, maybe. But, I mean, it, you know, the Republican brand has been toxic. Se- se- toxic. It's been tarnished by Trump, mm-hmm. at least in California. And so I just wonder right now, in any way, what it would take to be able to overcome that. Luis, you have thoughts? I think we have to understand what the challenges of California are, first and foremost. You know, we have a little, we have a big surplus in California, and we know that Gavin Newsom has made a lot of promises to the progressive wing to ensure that you know that he got elected without a hiccup, and he did. So the question now is, he going to deliver on those promises? You know, we we knew that Jerry Brown was going to be the canoe governor. You know, once in a while he pedaled a little bit to the right, and you know, uh, California industry was okay with a lot of the legislation or the breaks that he put in the legislation. We don't know what Gavin Newsom's going to do. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Uh, so the question is, you know, I think that it's all going to depend on what Democrats do. Because it's if, if we can find a voice that actually stands for the issues that are important to the families and, 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 and their livelihoods and, and, and things of 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 value when it comes to the conservative values, and if we can find the messengers that actually can deliver and that, then I think we have a way to start getting out of the shadows. It's going to take a lot of work. There are those inside the Republican Party that are going to fight tooth and nail uh, to make sure that we still stay, uh, you know, the the, the 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 crazy party of the right wing, which Mike knows that I have never belonged to, and I'm never going to make an excuse for them. But I, I understand that they are there. I understand that they exist. I understand that there is part of the population that has been uh, supporting the Republican Party for a long time. My job, it, 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 as I see it, is to make sure that they see that they see that their ways have been wrong and that they see a way of changing how they uh, take positions. And I know that's going to take may take a generation, Mike. And I know we, we might have to wait a little bit. But at least if we're moving in that right direction, I think that we have an opportunity to build a counter voice to what the Democrats are going to uh, present to the Californians. And that's what I'm interested in doing is making sure that we can talk about all the leaders that are that, that are doing a great job and all the leaders that are uh, not representing their districts correctly. And I think you need a party that actually has strong leadership to be able to do that correctly. And I, I, and, and I want to end it with this, Mike. You know, it's not just the party members. You know very well it's the donor base. The donor base on both sides that control message many times. The, do- you know, the, uh, Republic- the Republican donor base has completely left the Republican Party. Gavin Newsom and Antonio Villaraigosa raised 20 times more dollars from Republican donors, from Republican donors than Travis Allen and John Cox combined, Luis. The donors have figured this out. And it's, it's just really difficult to hear you say, you know, you don't support those candidates. John Cox was the candidate of the fringe right. 
He, he got more votes at the CRP uh, convention than Travis Allen did. He was endorsed by Donald Trump. He stands for everything that you and I have been opposing, and yet you're, you're saying you won't support those candidates, but you did. Well, I'm, 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 I'm going to focus on, what, uh, on the candidates uh, for, for, the, for the CRP chair and the leadership and have those guys start rebuilding uh, a party that's going to be something that I'm going to subscribe to. I am just as disgusted as you are, Mike, with a lot of the things that happened, we know when Steve Bannon was at the party uh, talking. I left. I left that night. That's the. That's when I walked away, because I was perplexed. I was uh, infuriated that there was no control on who walked into that party and grabbed the microphone, and that's, I, I still blame the leadership uh, that is currently right now for allowing that to happen, and. If, if, if that's the party that's going to continue to be in leadership, I'm going to continue to sidestep the party. But I am hopeful, and I continue to say that I'm going to be a glass-half-full kind of guy because I know that there are bad apples in our party, but there's also some good people in the party that uh, have felt that they have been forced to, uh, to take a stand and support the president because he is the president. And I don't agree with them in that perspective, and I hope to be able to be influential uh, to continue to build a party that I can feel proud, proud of being part of again. Okay, on that positive note, <laughs> I knew we'd hit a positive note sometimes. So on that positive note, we'll say goodbye to everybody. Thank you very much, Luis Alvarado, Mike Madrid. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, Luis. Thank Tim you, Foster. Foster. Thank you. And I'm John Howard at Capital Weekly. We'll see you next time around. Thanks. The Capital Weekly podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.